All right. To record, just for the sake of recording or people listening online, I'll just mention again, so there'll be no recording or upload, um, that we'll have no service uh, the next two weeks, um, just because I'm having that major surgery and uh, you give a little room for some recovery. And, and uh, if something happens and it does go longer than that, um, from what I've been told by the doctors and tits, I don't believe that would be a problem, but if for some reason it does, it'll be updated on our Facebook page. And, uh, but uh, I'm hoping uh, two weeks, that gives me the few days they say getting in the hospital and then a few days at home recovery and two weeks should be about, about right to hopefully be back by the third week. But uh, so um, that's where we're at there. Let's uh, start, open your Bibles to Numbers chapter 15. Numbers chapter 15. I, I, I want to talk today probably more of a teaching style, um, something maybe I would typically more consider, like uh, if I was doing a Sunday school or something like that, uh, um, a teaching style versus preaching uh, this morning. And uh, but this is a topic that's been going around a lot, and a lot of either confusion or or questions or or things. And this by no means cover. I believe when I get back after the surgery, I'm going to work on a series, and I'll put it together. The more I tried to study and get ready for today, I kept finding more and more and parts and things I wanted to tie. And and there's just no way I can do it in a sermon. And uh, the, this needs to be a series. And uh, with with uh, many things, but I, I want to talk a little bit about our relationship. What is our relationship between as a Christian and a little bit as a church with our government? And uh, now there's question when we talk about government. One, there's changes throughout history. You know, America's only about 240 years old, um, as we say, compared to the rest of the world. So um, this also, I'm trying to be a little bit generic because we're in America. I will mention some of our history and the Constitution here in a little bit, but, but I'm not going to make a big emphasis on that today because I am just trying to look at the general principle um, and uh, so we got history, we got different countries and, and, and different types of government uh, around the world and through time that, that this applies to. God's word doesn't change. Whatever God's word says about our relationship with others is the same um, today as it was thousands of years ago. So, so that, that, in that principle, I, I want to keep that part a little bit generic, but I want to focus on, on some things. Now, the truth is, I, I am not getting the same, um, I am not going to get to exact details of okay, we, we need to obey the government here, we don't obey here and make up our mind. That's not the direction I'm going. But there is a time, there are some things that God does say and help us make up our mind. One of the underlying thoughts throughout Scripture and through Christianity and this thought getting wrong leads to false doctrine, like Calvinism, for example, and uh, that, that God gave us a will. God gave us the ability to make decisions all the way back in the Garden of Eden. That's why God put, um, God was not trying to tempt Adam and Eve to do wrong. That was not the purpose. But in order for Adam and Eve to do right, 
if there was not a perp something in the garden that they had to make a decision about, that God said, don't touch that tree or don't eat of that tree. They, they twisted that later, but, but they said, don't eat of the tree of knowledge, good and evil. If they didn't have that decision to contend with, everything else they did right would be an automatic or robotic um, a response, and that would eliminate the purpose that God created man for in the first place, and that was to have a relationship with God that somebody loved him. God had angels in heaven praising him. Uh, I mean, God had all the glory. God had had the, 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 the heavenly host that would sing and tell God every day how great he was. God had that. God wanted a relationship with a person that could say, God, I love you because of how who you are, and I love you on my own accord because I want to. If Adam and Eve couldn't make that decision in the Garden of Eden, they wouldn't be no different than the angels because they, they had nothing to make a decision on. Yeah, God's good. God gave us his garden. God gave us everything, and there was no wrong for them to contend with. Um, so... So the, the free will of man is an underlying um, a thought, if you will, that leads later to liberty. We've taught some on that, and Paul dealt with that in Galatians 5.1, that of us stand in liberty. We have to understand our liberty in Christ as a child of God. When I'm saved, God's sealed. I'm not preaching so much on salvation this morning, but we have to understand that that as a child of God, I'm saved. I trusted in Christ. Um, I'm sealed under the hand of God, John chapter 10, that, that no man can pluck thee out of my Father's hand, Jesus said. Um, no man can pluck thee out of my hand. No man can pluck thee out of my Father's hand. Ephesians said we're sealed by the Holy Spirit, there is nothing that can change our eternal destiny and the fact that I'm a child of God. Now, by sinning, I can ruin that relationship with God, but nothing can change the fact that I'm a child of God. And uh, so, but in that idea, we have liberty, not as an excuse to sin, or, or the works uh, salvation crowd tried to say, well, you're just giving people license to sin, and they can do what they want. And, no, that's not it at all. But without the freedom to choose, our relationship with God would not mean anything. So under this idea of saying that we have a freedom to choose, um, the prodigal son is a good example. Um, some people try to tie salvation to that. That whole passage is not about salvation. That, that child, that young man, left his father, wanted his inheritance to go live in the world and live his own life, came back to the father. The father accepted him as his son. The fact that he was his son never changed through that whole idea. That, that whole story, that was not salvation. He didn't come back and repent to his father to get right and become a child. He already was the child. He restored an element of the relationship. Now there's some things he went out. He already burned up his inheritance. He had to live the rest of his life without some blessing from his father. Um, there was consequences for that. But he was the child. Um, so with that idea of having, if you will, a free will, we have to understand that this idea, if you will, of liberty is the under, uh, an underlying premise or law, if you will, in the Christian life. If I'm going to serve God and love God the way God wanted me to, 
I have to have the liberty to be able to choose to go a different path if I want to. That does not excuse that wrong path. It does not make that other path right. Um, there's no justification for me doing that wrong path, but I must have the ability to choose if I am going to choose to do right. Um, so that brings us to sort of as an introduction, number chapter 15. Um, in verse 38, speak unto the children of Israel and bid them that they make fringes in the borders of their garments throughout their generations and that they put upon the fringe of the borders a ribbon of blue. And it shall be unto you for a fringe that you may look upon it and remember all the commandments of the Lord and do them and that ye seek not after your own heart and your own eyes, after which ye use to go whoring, that ye may remember and do all my commandments and be holy unto your God. I am the Lord your God, which brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord your God. So God's telling his people, he said, hey, when you put your clothes and you make your clothes, put a ribbon around the, the, the hem of the garment, put a blue ribbon around that so that um, you can see your clothing. Um, this isn't talking about details, and I'm not preaching on dress or our standards today, but, but to understand, God said, hey, there's something important about your clothing to identify you, but not to identify you to the world. But you, in this case, he's telling them literally to put a ribbon, put something in your clothing so that when you look at your clothing, you're reminded of what I gave you and that you're obeying me so you don't forget God's commandments. And uh, so, so God literally put something to remember you constantly. In other words, the word of God needs to be on our mind all the time. And what God said, so God said here, he said, put that you follow the commandments, but notice in verse 39, he said, as you look upon it, referring to that ribbon in their, in their garment, um, that, and remember all the commandments of the Lord and do them, and that ye seek not after your own heart and your own eyes, which ye use to go whoring. In other words, if you listen to your heart, and there's much on that, we've preached on that in the past, and there's much, that's why I need to make this somewhat of a series, um, by the Bible talks about your heart, your heart is deceitful above all things, you can't trust your heart, the world says follow your heart. Uh, the world says go after your heart. The world says do what your heart makes you feel. Uh, um, but God says your heart's deceitful. And here it says your heart and your eyes are going to make you the sin and that. This is more about, in this context and numbers, it's a lot more about them going away from their relationship with God and following the world. He said if you trust your heart and you trust your eyes, you're going to go after the things of the world. And uh, so we, we have that, that thought as we look at what about dealing with this thing of, of, of our direction. How do we look at things in the world? First of all, we have to understand our relationship with God. I'm a child of God. I have a responsibility for God. And God says here that we need to follow and obey and do his commandments. That's our responsibility between us and God. 
So that comes first. Let's go to Judges chapter 17. Judges chapter 17. As you're turning now, mention Judges. The book of Judges is about a time where God dealt with man. If you follow the Bible, you'll find God dealt with man in different ways. Early on in the Bible, when it when before sin, God created the Garden of Eden, and Adam and Eve were there. And God, it says that God came and literally walked with Adam. God would come down, walk in the garden. Adam and God would walk um, through that garden and have a conversation. And uh, so. They, they talk, Adam sinned. That broke that relationship where no God could no longer physically walk with Adam. You say, why does that matter? Why, why is that a big deal? Remember when God told Moses that Moses wanted to see God and God told him, if you, if you look at my face, it'll kill you. And God made him hide, turn his back and hide in a rock. And God walked past where Moses from, high, from a hiding position got a glimpse of God's glory. And it was so much that when he came down from the mountain, it, uh, it, it showed everyone else could see it. So, so what happened was it wasn't Adam. It wasn't good that God didn't want to spend time with Adam. It was that because of sin, um, Adam's body, if you will, his flesh, became corruptible. That's where God told him, if you eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, on this day you shall surely die. That was part of that death that his body broke that, that connection where God, Adam, in sin, could no longer physically be able to be next to God. So from then on, now you have God speaking in a verbal sense. Um, examples, Noah, telling Noah how to build the ark. Um, Moses, as he was writing um, the law, God physically spoke to him. God spoke to Joshua um, in, God, in God. Then we have the transition of Judges. Later, the prophets, God spoke. But now we have this time of Judges. What happened during Judges is God did not have an authority rule as we think of. The government was already laid down, if you will, when God gave the law to Moses. Remember that law was not about we get hung up on the sacrifice and try to make it all spiritual, even the parts of that. God took, they came out of Egypt, they were slaves, they're in the wilderness, how do we survive? What do we do? God laid out a law for civilization. If you read Deuteronomy, Leviticus, and somewhat numbers, you'll find God told them how to interact with people. God told them how to help people. God told them how to resolve differences. God told them where and how to go to the bathroom. God told them how to wash their hands. Um, God told literally laid out every detail for a civilization. That was the law. So now they have that. They can go to the Bible. They go with what Moses wrote. They can go back in this time of Judges. They can go back to that. They know how to live. They have it. They had it written down. Um, they did a judge's job in this era, in this time of history under God and Israel, the job of a judge was to get, hey, Israel, hey, you're getting off track. Hey, remember the law? Remember what God said? Hey, you need to pay attention to what God already gave you. That was the job of a judge to keep them right with God. So we have an interesting time here as a judges is fading out partly because of Israel's disobedience and partly finding good men to be judges. In other words, uh, Judges 16 was Samson. Yes, he killed many Philistines, but outside of that, what did Samson really accomplish for God? 
<laughs> he kind of lived his own life, and uh, God used him to get rid of some enemy in spite of Samson. It's kind of where we left off. So now we come into chapter 17. Now we have a nation of Israel where I believe God stepped back because of some of their rebellion, and, and you'd have to study Judges to come out and see all this. But, but in Judges um, chapter 17 and verse 6, there's a statement made, In those days there was no king in Israel, but every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Now is that saying they needed a king? God's plan was never for Israel to have a king. That was not part of God's plan up to this point. They did not have a king. They didn't need a king. God already gave them the law. God gave them people in, in, in leadership, if you will, to help them within the law God set. Um, God's intention was never to have a man, if you will, rule them and dictate what to do. That was not God's intention. This is a historical comment, but notice more importantly, the last part of that verse, that it said, every man did that which was right in his own eyes. God had not replaced a judge yet, and historically just made the comment, there's no king. Let's go over to Judges chapter 21. Judges chapter 21. Now this is the end of Judges, and you find from chapter 17 in Judges to the end of the book now, you'll find that there was care. They were trying to figure out between each other who's going to marry who, which tribe does which, and there was actually some fighting between the tribes of Israel. So Israel's gone from no judge, hey, there's no king, we don't have, now judge is gone, and they got away, it said they, they, we saw a while ago in chapter 17, they did that which was right in their own eyes, and being doing that which was right in their own eyes ended up being in chaos, now for several chapters, some period of time, and the book of Judges ends in, in chapter 21 and verse 25, in those days there was no king in Israel, every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Let's go to 1 Samuel. Here's the next era, if you will, of God dealing with Israel. 1 Samuel, I'm sorry. 1 Samuel chapter 8. 1 Samuel chapter 8. Of course, the first few chapters, we know the story of Samuel working with Eli. Um, his mother couldn't have children, and she brought him to, the, to Eli to learn. He lived with Eli. God called him um, in the middle of the night, and uh, if you go back and read that, we, most of the time we hear preaching on that passage of when God called Samuel, then it got Eli to tell Eli finally told him, hey, that's God talking to you, um, so that when, uh, when, when uh, Samuel finally told God, here am I, I'm ready to listen, uh, God, what God told Samuel was actually against Eli. And uh, so God was raising up Samuel to be a prophet. Samuel was not, we don't see an indication in the Bible that he was an acting priest. He, in a sense, was the first prophet. He learned under the priest Eli, but Samuel actually became the first prophet. And uh, dealing with this, now we have here in 1 Samuel chapter 8 and verse 4. 1 Samuel chapter 8, start reading in verse 4. 
And all the elders of Israel gathered themselves together and came to Samuel. Now Samuel's, or, I'm sorry, Eli's children were wicked. He's the priest, he's the Levites. They're supposed to be living right. And uh, they were living wicked. Um, they had that. Now that's why they're gathering them together. Verse 5. And he said unto him, Behold, thou art old, and thy sons walk not in thy ways. Now make us a king to judge us, all the nations. The thing displeased Samuel. And they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed unto the Lord. Of course, God gave in and gave him a king. So this is where... Um, God, Israel, people acting right, and the people had enough said, so we want to be just like the rest of the world. Um, we we want to have this idea that uh, we, we want to be important. We want to look like other nations. We want we see that in the news today often. All kinds of issues. I'm not going to get on which issue. That doesn't matter. But but uh, that's, of course, prophecy and revelation, another um, thing. But we're, we want to have everyone wants to be like everyone else. Uh, what about this country is doing it this way? This country is handling something this way. This kind of, who cares? We're America. We have a constitution. We shouldn't care how another country does it. If they do something and it works out for good and it winds up with our constitution, our history, there's nothing wrong with looking at that. I'm just saying the argument just because someone else is doing it is not an argument. What does God say about it? What does the Bible say about it? And in America, we have a constitution that tells us how to do things. That's how we need to look at government. So in this case, in 1 Samuel, we have, they wanted to be like the rest of the world. They, they wanted to look at what's right in our own eyes. Hey, we want to be, they thought, well, we, if we just had a king. Now, if they'd stop and think about it and look at research their own history at that moment, they would realize of places they've been, like Egypt, and watching the history of places like Sodom and Gomorrah, and, and watching these places who had kings, and, and had the worldly method of doing things, and, and had this, they would understand that that doesn't work, and they would know that that was not God's plan. Now, God gave in because of their, their, their attitude. And if you read through the, the man, Samuel and Chronicles and Kings, and you'll find, man, they had all kinds of trouble because of having kings. Uh, um, it, it brought nothing. From this point on, they're at war. Um, at this point on, they, they had heartache. And from that point on, they had divisions in Israel. Um, from this point, once they had a king, it was not God's plan. And we have a couple of things here. I want to um, pull away from that um, a little. Let's read one more passage, and then I'll go to some other thoughts for a moment. Go to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 11. Now before this, he mentions Christ and mentions our salvation and we're children. So that's some context here. But in verse 11, Wherefore remember that ye be in a times past Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by that which is called circumcision in the flesh made by hands. That in, in that time you were without Christ, 
being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, who sometimes were far off, made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall partition between us, having abolished in this flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make himself of twain one new man, so making peace. And that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby, can preach peace, to you which were afar off, and to them that were nigh. So what he's saying here, verse 15, having abolished in his flesh the enmity. Enmity, of course, is something between you, and an and irritant, a, a battle, a, an enemy, if you will. So the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances. Now, they're saying, so it says there's an enmity, the law of commandments and ordinances are an enmity in our flesh or an enemy or an ear does, something that's getting in our way, if you will. Now, let me clarify here, this is specifically talking about salvation and it's talking about them following the Old Testament law as far as giving sacrifice and covering their sins. And look, That is exactly what it's talking about. This is not talking about, don't misunderstand me, I'm not trying to make this say something it's not saying. This is not talking about our laws today for how we live in our country. Um, that's not what this is referring to, but I want to set this as an example in the sense of there is an element where if we just thought that all laws are good and all laws are for our help and all laws are to be obeyed all the time and didn't understand the context of what God said, there's laws in the Bible back in the Old Testament for Israel that God set that was law that they were required by God, by law, to follow that when Jesus came and died, he did away with. So, so that, that's part of it. Number one is understand that, that a law can change, in this case, in this context, God is the one that changed it. Now, the other thing is, for example, when you go through the New Testament or, or the life of Christ and watch Christ, remember when he got criticized by the Pharisees um, for doing things on the Sabbath day? And it makes Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. He can change that law. That was, that was something that Jesus... Um, had liberty to change because he's the one that made the law in the first place. Now, now so, so what, what, but what I want to say here is a law can be a bad thing if it's looked at wrong, if it's looked, applied the wrong way, or if it's in the wrong place. In other words, you read the Old Testament, that's law God laid down. There's some false doctrines and false movements going around the country today. Um, I've seen some even in this area. Um, one example of that, um, one is just the whole nation of Israel that doesn't accept Christ as the Messiah, and they haven't got saved because they don't believe Jesus was the Son of God there to die for their sins, and they're not saved because they're held up under the old law as tradition as, as a Jew. There's another group of people, and we have some around here, that uh, is called the Hebrew Roots Movement. 
And what that movement is, is it just anybody and everybody trying to claim some heritage in the sense of, well, God gave it to the Old Testament. God never changes. The Word of God doesn't change. So, so we have to follow every bit of the old law. Well, yes, God gave that law, but if you follow through the Bible, once Jesus came and died, he did away with that ceremonial law, and that is not how we get saved. Of course, it never was how we get saved, but, but especially in the New Testament, we're not looking for animal sacrifice to cover our sins. Um, God is the one that implemented it. God is the one that did away with it. So when you look at a law, understand, first of all, where did it come from? What is the source? And then what is the application will give you some insight on how that law works, especially when it comes to Scripture. That'll keep you from getting false doctrine. But how does that apply today? Um, I want to go to a couple verses here real quick, and then I'll give some thoughts, and we'll come back and wind down in a couple Scripture. There's two Scriptures I want to read, try to explain. When people talk about, turn to Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13. Um, especially today, we have something we don't like. We have a problem. We have a, a law to, and something's going on in our society today. I hear these things often. I've actually heard it said um, for time's sake. I can't get into all of it. But uh, these are a couple verses that people take and try to apply and just a blanket that we just have to do whatever the government says um, every single time, and we shouldn't question it, and we should be. And here's a verse I want to get, and I want to give some explanation on this and how we need to apply and look at some of these things. Uh, Romans chapter 13 and verse 1 says, Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God, the powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power, resisteth the ordinance of God, and they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. And uh, I, I want to kind of keep your finger there and turn to, um, lost my place here, um, First Peter, I'm sorry, First Peter, I want to read this, and we're going to jump back to Romans. 1 Peter chapter 2. First Peter chapter 2 and verse 13 says, Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme or unto governors as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the priests and for the praise of, of them that do well. For this is the will of God that with well doing you may put to science the ignorance of foolish men as free and not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as servants of God. So a couple of things there, same idea in verse 13, submit yourself to every ordinance of man 
for the Lord. So what we see in these two verses, and I've heard people take it and say, we got these verses. See, it says you have to obey all the authority all the time, um, no matter what. And if you question it, you're the one that's wrong. I've heard people even say that that uh, founding of America and in our culture, the Revolutionary War and bringing in the Constitution was wrong, that our founding fathers were unbiblical because they didn't obey these two verses and just follow the king. Um, that that's not now. Let me clarify. If we were keep reading, we read it briefly in Peter, and then we'll go back to Romans. Notice it says, "Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be the king as supreme or in the governor." And then it says unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evil doers, and for the praise of them that do well. Notice that. So there's a there's a part of the function of these. Uh, of these people, governors and people in charge, they're supposed to go after the evildoers and praise those that do well. Let's go back to Romans 13. Notice today we have to talk about being subject to the higher powers, verse 2. And then it says, For rulers, verse 3, are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. For he is the minister of God to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid. For he beareth not the sword in vain. For he is the minister of God, a revenger, to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. So, what we have is is we have a command, yes, to obey government in a sense, as you look at these verses, but it also gives part of their job. If they're not upholding good and punishing evil, what do you do then with a governor government that punishes good instead of punishing evil? They're not holding their end of the bargain. And I've heard it said, if if we just blanket apply these verses, that, well, just no matter what happens, no matter what they say, you're supposed to obey the government. God put them there, and and that's what that's what that says. Um, and and we take that. What about men throughout history, like Adolf Hitler, who used these verses and tried to put pressure on churches to preach this idea and have tried to get preachers? They probably weren't much of a church. I'm guessing more orthodox type and all that. I've not studied all the history there, but but I've read they tried to put pr pressure on the pastors and the priests, if it was Catholic or more orthodox, to use these verses to get after the people in their congregation to follow along and obey whatever he said to do. Now, if you go back in history and look at all the millions of people, not just millions of people, but Jews, Israelites, God's people, that were being murdered just because of who they are, now, where can you find any justification for that in the Bible? So therefore, since one is, and, and James said to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not to him it is sin, and we had a man in history that was just killing Jews just because they were Jews um, by, by, the, by the millions, and he was no longer a terror unto evil. He was, he was being a terror under good works. Then we have now, we must decide what does God want? What is the overall concept of Scripture? Uh, and again, this is the danger of that the, the verses that specifically say, 
obey the leaders, obey the governors, obey the ordinance of man. These are the only two verses you find something that's precise. So we take in the context of all of the Bible and how does God interact with man through the entire Bible and we find in that example, using Hitler as that example, we would find here's a way, hey, uh, we need to pay better attention here and uh, it's probably not a good idea to follow that crazy man. How about we help save some people's lives? And uh, so, so there, there, there's one thought in that aspect. It was said in uh, our founding, our founding fathers, as we look, um, a quote by John Quincy Adams said, "The highest glory of the American Revolution was this: it connected in one ind indissolvable bond the principles of civil government with the principles of Christianity." Now look at where they're trying to get today. There's a couple models of government. We don't have a lot of time. Uh, I'm not going in. There's natural law, what we call natural law. That is the law in which God laid out in Scripture and throughout history that God gave us. If you read things like our Declaration of Independence and our Constitution, you'll find things that we were given these liberties by our Creator. And uh, God gave it, that's what we call natural law. God laid these things out. A couple just real simple thoughts. What about the Ten Commandments? Most of the world has some idea of the Ten Commandments, even if they don't know much Bible. Um, how about um, do not steal? That sounds good. Um, e even, even people that we call liberal, even people that want to upset our government, even people that are generally against the good of what our country was founded on, and, and even anti-Christian people don't want their personal belongings taken from them, right? <laughs> that shall not steal. That's a right given by God of possession of property. That's one of the things founded in our Constitution that when we buy a property or we own something, that's mine. Now, I'm not talking about living selfish and not helping our neighbors. and that, That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the legal sense of possession that, that God laid out and said, that's my property. We buy it. Unlike the communism model that says everything's owned by the government and you just work for the government and it really doesn't belong to you, that's not even Bible, let alone a good model of government. And uh, so, so just the fact that God had to say, thou shalt not steal. If, if you couldn't have possession of it, who could, you, nobody could steal it from you. If it was a communist model that everybody or socialist tries to make it sound prettier, um, it's just for everybody. Let's just all share and, and, and let's just all get along and share all our stuff and nobody really owns it. It's just for whoever needs it and, and all that. Well, if that was the case, you couldn't steal it. The fact God said thou shalt not steal implies that we have a possession. And uh, so, um, and, and there's others, or, or thou shalt not kill, that's a pretty easy one. But what about the secular models of government that want to uh, um, say abortion's okay? Or, or when, when an elderly person is no longer able to, to in their opinion, to, to uh, contribute to society, that would just kill them off. 
So, so only that was part of Hitler's ride. That's a worldly atheist evolutionary model. So in law, we have two things. Natural law is things given by God. That's what our constitution in America is based on. And then we have what a big model is, is uh, called positive law. That's the idea that man can make law on their own because we're a society. We want to get along and have some structure, and, and that structure, we need to control what man does, and, 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 and sometimes even go as far as, well, man's generally good, but we got some bad apples out there, and this is for, and it ends up being for the common good, or what they call the greater good. So whoever's in authority at that time, whether it's government, governors, legislators, kings, whatever part of history and part of the world you're in, um, you got a few people or a single person deciding this is for the good of the society as a whole, therefore we need to make it law. If you don't like it, you're part of the problem. Um, that, is, that is sometimes referred to as positive law, but that's, that's law based on they did that right, that which was right in their own eyes. That's not based on any principle of the Word of God. That, that's man trying to govern themselves. That's why certain aspects we see in America and around the world, that's why they try so hard to get the Word of God out of society. That's why they try so hard to get the word out of God, word of God out of politics. That's why they want the word of God out of government is so that they can make laws that they think that they want, even if some of them happen to be good. It doesn't matter. They're doing it wrong because it's not based on the word of God. But we need to get back to the idea and thought that we're, we're going to do it God's way instead of man's way. Turn to the book of James, James chapter 4. One of the underlying causes of bad government, and we'll call bad leaders and whatever level of government they're in, is the idea... That, that one of Satan's biggest tools and almost every single sin of any kind, we, we, we may, in our mind, we have a hard, I'm going to run out of time, I can't go into it in detail, but Paul talked much about the separation where I started out showing as if, our, if we're a child of God and we need to obey God. We introduced uh, today's message dealing with that. But one of the things that we have a hard time as men trying to understand is the separation of my flesh versus the spiritual part of me that actually got saved and is going to go to heaven. Uh, Paul talked often in his writings about dealing with the flesh and dealing with the old man and the fact that we're a new creature and sometimes, here's where false doctrines of salvation get, get put in play, is, is they're not separating the difference of our battle with the flesh and our new spiritual man. When I go to heaven and the rapture comes or, or I die first and my body is buried, my soul is what's going to live for eternity in heaven. That's the part of me that's saved. This old flesh is just the shell I'm stuck in on earth. 
Um, th this old flesh is the part I battle. This is the part where sin is. This is the part that I have trouble functioning between the world and what God says to do. And if we're not cautious and if we don't separate those things properly, we get mixed up and that's why somebody can look at, well, if you're living that way, you must not be saved. Well, how you're living might not be good, and it might be in disobedience to God. And maybe you do need to get right, but that doesn't automatically make you not saved because your flesh isn't the part that gets saved in the first place. But under this man, when you take somebody that is lost, or maybe they are saved, you know, every politician tries to play to the crowd and pretend they go to church and, and all that, and some of them may genuinely be saved. I don't know, I can't see their heart. But in their flesh... Satan's biggest tool, his number one tool to get people away from God is pride. And when you get somebody in a government position that has some authority, I'll give you an example to consider. The Bible doesn't say it. I am not trying to, to uh, attack someone's character that I wasn't there and couldn't see. But if you look at Daniel... In Daniel chapter 1, when they went against the, the, the king, I, Daniel purposed in his heart he would not defile himself and would not eat the king's meat. That was over food, man. Uh, I mean, he took, he, he said, I, I'm going to eat right. We're going to take care of ourselves. We're going to want to do it God's way. And it was over food. It wasn't even something sinful. And they gave in. He said, we're going to do right. But once they got favor with the king and he became a governor, the chapter 3 is when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego decided they're not going to bow down to the image. It's interesting, we left off with Daniel sitting in the king's gate and the passage says that all bowed down. Where was Daniel? Just a thought, I'm not saying, the Bible doesn't say, I'm not saying absolutely he did something. I'm just saying we need to watch. I just, we need to make sure pride doesn't get the better of us. Uh, we need to watch this thing. So our leaders get in these positions and they think they got some authority when here. Let me, let me wind down with it. We have here James 4, 7. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. So two things there. Sometimes we get caught up in how to resist the devil. The very first thing there in that verse said, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. This book, what God said, is the most important thing on us to follow and how to figure out life. And then it says, it ended up purify your hearts. It says you double-minded. If you're trying to pretend you're living for God and living in the world, you're going to be double-minded. And uh, we leave it at this. Let me leave this as law. Well. I mentioned our relationship with, with uh, ourselves and government, if you will. Throughout history, many Christians have been persecuted, um, jailed. All, I'm talking all over the world through thousands, thousands of years. Um, jailed killed, tortured, um, murdered because of their life for Christ. If they believed how sometimes it's out of context on these verses on submitting to authority, um, if, if they didn't have that right, they should have followed the government by what some people say and done what they said and recanted and just lived along. They could have had a nice, easy life and done, but they would not have been right with God. What God says is more important. I'll leave with this. In America, we have a thing called the Constitution. The Constitution is our authority in America. It's not about 
little ordinances here and there or little people get you know getting in a position whether it's local government or or governors or even the president it doesn't matter what level of government they're in when they start making their own laws outside of the guidelines of a constitution in America they are the ones that are wrong not us and, and I'm not saying we're, we're uh, this sermon is not about trying to say, oh, we're going to disobey the government. That is not at all what I'm trying to get across. I'm just trying to give, give you some Bible understanding. That's why I said it's more teaching. Um, a, a sermon, one of, the, one of the things that distinguishes teaching from preaching is trying to drive to your heart a decision to do something for God. And uh, we, we just said this is a lot more teaching. This is information. Um, this is biblical guidelines to how to look at government in the eyes of God. In other words, our, our eyes need to be on God first, then we figure out all the other stuff. Governments change. What, what's the difference if I'm an American citizen and God called me to be a missionary in some communist country on the other side of the world? Hey, my government system just totally changed. Um, this can change. Well, if we don't understand our principles to have a right relationship with God, it doesn't matter what kind of government we have. Um, in, in America, we have some advantages. Our government was founded on biblical principles. And uh, we need to get back to that. So in a, to get back to it, we need to understand it. But our first priority is to have a heart right with God and to do it God's way and obey God first. It doesn't matter what man says. It doesn't matter what God's or, or what man says or what a government says. If that government contradicts anything in the Word of God, I'm to obey God rather than man. As Peter said when uh, he got captured, we didn't have time to show all those verses, but uh, Peter um, had an had a interesting time in, uh, in Acts 17, they were arrested for preaching. They threw them in jail. God opened up the jail cell. They were begging God told them to go preach. They went back to preach and got called in front of the authorities again. And Peter said, hey, um, we ought to obey God rather than man. And uh, we're going to keep preaching. We're going to keep having church. And we're going to keep doing it God's way um, no matter what is going on in the world around us. And uh, we, we're not looking for persecution. That's not our goal. It's not noble to try to say, hey, bring it, bring it on. We're just trying to serve God. But we have to have a relationship right with God before we can get it right with man. And being right with man includes government, but God comes first. Let's stand together. And we'll close in prayer. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this day. And uh, God, I pray that um, you'll help us as, as uh, we go forward and uh, serve you. And God, I pray that you'll help us as I know because of circumstances, um, we have to be away from our, our, our normal gathering and assembly and what we call church for a couple weeks. But God, I pray that you'll help us to stay close to you and uh, pray for each other so that we have that connection. And God, that in, in a couple weeks, we'll come back and uh, be able to go forward and serve you even better and stronger and united in the cause of the gospel. God, I pray that you'll help us. God bless us. And uh, God, give us strength and courage to go serve you even this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Yes.